0: You are listening to the Gateway Franklin Church podcast. To learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, including our service times here in Franklin, Tennessee, visit us online at gatewayfranklin.com. And now, here is this week's message. So uh, last week I kicked off a new series called Unforgettable, um, life-changing stories uh, with Jesus. Um, And I defined unforgettable People this way, that they see you, that they don't overlook you, look past you, but they, they know you deeply. I define unforgettable people as they leave an imprint on you, not just an impression with you. Right? Oh, that person made an impression on me. Unforgettable people, they, just, they leave an imprint on you. And the last is, uh, at least for last week, was that they're catalysts for transformation. Having, having met them or be engaged with them causes you to, to maybe shift and change either way you think or what you do, um, and that was how I began defining unforgettable people, and that Jesus then becomes the most unforgettable person ever. Um, a well, if you haven't figured it out, is our setting today. Um, I didn't just necessarily need a larger pulpit. Um, but, but we did a well today, um, uh, because a well is the setting for today's uh, encounter. And I just thought that it would be appropriate to do this conversation because it was a conversation that happened around the well. Um, and hopefully it would spark your interaction with this. Um, it's just going to be Jesus and a woman and this well. In fact, the only reason why we would have record of this in the gospels and only John's gospel records it is then Jesus would have had to explain this word for word, blow by blow of the conversation in order for it to have been recorded for us to keep. Because nobody else is a witness to this conversation except Jesus and a woman and this well. It's around noon. Um, Jesus and his disciples Had been traveling north from Galilee, going to Samaria, and um, they probably would have started out maybe at sunbreak, at sunrise, and they get to this town called Sychar, which is just a small town in the region of Samaria. When they get to the well, everyone's kind of tired and ready for a break. Um, Jesus sends on the disciples into town for food. Now, Why why doesn't he go with them? Could be a variety of reasons, right? It could be he was more tired than the rest and sends them on and he's just going to stay put there. That's plausible. Um, The other reason could be that he wanted to avoid crowds, right? When Jesus showed up and crowds came, he didn't get a lot of peace. Very plausible explanation of why Jesus sends them on a couple miles actually into town. The more probable, based on us looking backwards on it, was he knew he had an appointment with someone to have a conversation. And he wanted to have that conversation, and he wanted to have that conversation privately with that person. And so he sends, he sends his disciples on. Um, and he would use this well, and he would use the water that this well represents, he would use that as the foundational point for his conversation, we take water for granted, right? We turn on a spigot. You probably did today. Some of you at least turned on a spigot, brushed your teeth. You might have turned on shower head or a bathtub. Uh, I grab two or three bottles of water on the way out the door on Sunday. I drink one. It happens to be through worship, so I don't have to be uh, dry-mouthed when I preach. And then I'll drink one in between services, and then you can't find me because I'm getting rid of, rid of all the water that I... Um, so... Our bodies are made up of half to three quarters of water. Um, we can't go more than three to five days without water, and yet because it seemed, it's not scarce to us here uh, in our culture, then we don't we take water for granted. Has ever, anyone ever been dehydrated before? Anybody ever been dehydrated? Look at all of you. Obviously, we're, we're more high, we're more aware of dehydration these days. We carry our bottles. If you brought a bottle with you, raise your hand yeah please don 't leave it we, I mean we collect these we, we raise so much budget money every year by selling the bottles the yetis that you leave in the uh, in the sanctuary it 's not true, but you do leave a lot of a lot of uh, glasses in here. Um, first time I ever went to Honduras, it was a ten day trip. I was going to visit a missionary in Honduras, and um, uh, I came back and i wasn 't feeling well, and I thought I had malaria and so by the time Gina takes me to the doctor, uh, I can't talk. My throat is closing up. Um, I am so weak. She's, she's literally helping me into the doctor's office. I had chills. My head, my head was pounding. And so this was an infectious disease doctor. So infectious, infectious disease doctor looks for infectious diseases, right? Or, or not infectious diseases, but um, uh, tropical diseases. So he's taking me through. I did all kinds of blood work and then x-rays and this, that, and the other. And after about an hour, he walks in with a Coke and two aspirin. And he gives it to me and he says, You need to get this down. By now, I, I can't talk at all. I'm writing on a tablet. And I said, I, I can't drink that. I can't swallow that. He said, If you don't, we're going to take you to the ER. I said, I'll try. <laughs> It took me 20 minutes to get a 12-ounce can of Coke and two Tylenol, aspirin, whatever they were down. But it was shortly after that I was talking. I was strong again. Gee, I walk out the doctor's office under my own power. I was dehydrated. I had spent those 10 days so afraid of the water with all of the humidity that was going on at the time of the year that I went. I think it was in August. I was in Honduras. Um, and I realized that dehydration was no joke. But then the longer, the longer you spend walking with Christ, you also can realize that spiritual dehydration is no joke. Yeah, right? So that we, we, need, we need, just like our bodies need this physical water, we, we need the water of the Spirit in order to hydrate our own spiritual lives. Um, so a well was a perfect place to meet Jesus. As the disciples are on their way, into town they would have passed this woman coming the opposite direction okay and and they would have they would have known that she was coming to get water because she was carrying the necessary objects in order to retrieve the water All right. Retrieve the water out of the well. Uh, Could have been the same container, could have been a different container that she would have carried the water back home with. But they would have seen and known that she was heading in the opposite direction as they were. They would have known, they would have thought in their minds, well, this is odd. Why would this woman be going to a well outside of town and why would she be doing it around town? Noon. It was a perfect opportunity for conversation, and yet their culture and their stomachs had gotten in the way. Being a Samaritan woman, they would have crossed, they would have kind of taken a a bigger swath around who she was. Um, uh, They would have, um, it's very possible that she would have not made eye contact with them. This would have been an awkward kind of encounter. And it made me it made me curious of my own self. Um, why do I overlook people? And and it falls into both categories. That there's sometimes something culturally going on where I would I would avoid somebody. Um, maybe I'm just more interested in what's going on in my own world. Right? They were hungry. So, so their hunger was driving some of this. The culture was driving some of this. Um, you and I pass people like this unnamed woman every day. Um, we give, just give them a wave, or we'll make just brief eye contact, or we don't make any eye contact at all, and, or, or we do this really, actually, well, I, I left my phone down there, but we bury our faces in our phone, right? It's how we avoid awkward situations with people. Right. You find yourself in a close proximity to someone you don't know, waiting room, whatever it may be. And boom, you know, phone goes, goes up and everybody's doing it. So we avoid how we can look and see one another. And I would have think she would have done the same thing. Her mind would have been racing probably the same way. Well, who are these people? They see me coming outside of town. They're seeing me do this. And if they really, really see me, if they really see me, they're going to see how tired I am walking to this well outside of town every day. She doesn't want to be noticed. They don't want to notice anybody. So they just keep walking past, both caught in their own little worlds, their own little orbits, not to have touched, not to help. So here's the text of the story, at least part of it. We'll break it down and go through it today. Um, John 4, 4 through 9. Now he, which is Jesus, had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria named Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. Well, it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, you are a Jew and I'm, Samaritan. I'm a Samaritan. How can you ask me for a drink? And John's letting us in on some of this background with these parenthetical statements. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. In order to get from Galilee to Jerusalem, you had to go through Samaria. It says, it seems to imply that, that Jesus had to go through there. But in fact, a lot of devout Jews would have gone around Samaria in order to get to Jerusalem. And why is that? Well, during the Babylon captivity, when Babylon uh, destroys the temple and Jerusalem, and they take the majority of the people out of Jerusalem, they still left some people there. People that would not have had a great deal of value to Babylon and how they would operate. Well, then the Babylons then would take the, would take people from Babylon and they would relocate them into this area of Samaria. Okay. They relocate them in order to kind of dominate the area. And so what inevitably happened was there was intermarriage between religions. And then there would have been some worship practices being brought over into Samaria. The, 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 the Jerusalem would have been destroyed. There would have been no worship kind of going on there. And so that when you when you got when you to kind of go through some generations, what the Jews saw them as just having blown and completely um, syncretized Judaism with, with uh, pagan religions, and they would have no part of it. In fact, when I preached the message on Zerubbabel, in that, in that, um, listed, I believe in Ezra, it says that there were Samaritans that offered to help rebuild the temple and they were told, no, they didn't want their help. Okay. So, so this was, this was long-standing cultural, although by this time, most of that syncretization of worship had been, had been weeded out, but they still were worshiping in one area because they could not enter, could not go into Jerusalem and go into the temple. So this is where there are some real cultural barriers happening here. All right. And so, and so this is why she is um, a little struck by what Jesus is doing and anybody else would be struck by that as well. But when it says that he had to go through Samaria, it's not going like he, he went on to his maps app and it was the quickest route. He had to go through Samaria. There was going to be someone there that he had planned this trip around. I mean, this is kind of a, an amazing thing for us to consider. I remember I had a college professor once that his son was graduating from a uh, Coast Guard um, school or something, it was up in the New Jersey area, and, um, and I'm, I'm working at my dad's station on a Saturday, and, and the bell rings, if you remember these days, right? And this was all self-service in New Jersey, bell rings, I go out, and it's, that my, it's my professor coming to get gas, and I said, like nobody swings by New Egypt, New Jersey, and he's like, oh, well, my son was graduating. I said, yeah, I did the math. That's about two hours away, and you came here, why? See you and get gas, and literally, when I finished filling his tank, and he paid the bill, him and his wife drove on to Tennessee. It's an amazing thing when someone would go out of their way in order to have an encounter with you. He had to go through Samaria. And listen, how he begins to handle this awkward relationship issues between Jew and, Gentile, or between Jew and Samaritan, between rabbi and woman. And here's one of the things I want you to consider around Jesus. What we consider an awkward And we sidestep. Jesus considers necessary and steps directly into. Because wholeness depends on an honest face-to-face encounter with the healer. And, And Jesus did what was necessary there. He did not sidestep this. He stepped directly into it. So when he asks her for a drink, she is shocked. She is shocked, not just because of Samaritan and Jew, but because of a rabbi and a woman. A rabbi was not to talk to a woman one-on-one. She is shocked. Um, This encounter would have made Jesus unclean. It would have had to trigger a whole lot of of, of ceremonial cleansings in order to put him back in position to have done anything a rabbi was supposed to do. Um, and I realize that people size up other people and make snap judgments about them all the time. Um, and for us to deny that we do that is probably disingenuous. That we size up people all the time and we decide on, on what or how much interaction we're going to have with them. And here's the thing about Jesus. That he crosses lines other draw, others draw uh, to draw those others have crossed off. That there aren't lines in which Jesus doesn't cross. And that he, in fact, intentionally crosses those lines. especially in things that would be so awkward, most people sidestep. And he deals with them directly and deals with them face to face. Um, he, He doesn't overlook that she's a Samaritan woman. He knows very well she's a Samaritan woman. It just doesn't stop what he does. He wasn't blind to it. It informed exactly what he was doing. Um, for him, it didn't represent a fence. It was simply a frame. And these, all these unforgettable messages, are, 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 they have two sides to them. One is to find yourself in the position of Jesus crossing a line to you. But the other side of this is as his followers, how do we become unforgettable like Christ, Because a study of his life demonstrates how we are to live and operate and, and interact with each other. So he crosses these lines. The fe- they don't, they, they're not fences to him, they're frames. He knows who she is, it just doesn't stop what he's doing. He also wasn't afraid that the interaction would make him unclean, because here is a major shift in, in spiritual history. Up until this point, unclean always trumped clean. No matter what unclean touched, it made clean unclean. No matter what it was. Unclean held all the power until Jesus. And then with Jesus, his clean always cleansed unclean. Always. There was was never a gap where an unclean thing or unclean person was left unclean when Jesus interacted with him. He was completely unafraid of unclean because his clean always was greater. So even in this just first point of the message, here's four things. That Jesus crosses lines to get to us. He doesn't sidestep us. He steps into us. He turns fences into frames. And he's clean enough for our unclean. He's clean enough for our unclean. Can you... Can you? Can you absorb that today? Whether whether you're exploring this man Jesus and you're not sure who he is, but he's gotten enough of your attention to explore, or you're a follower of Christ. And as followers of Christ, we still don't get things right all the time. And the enemy wants to turn things um, against us cause us to want to drop our heads before Jesus, to not interact with him, to be afraid of his interaction with us. Because because what the enemy wants us to believe is all he does is see the stuff that we don't want people to see. And he does see it. He just doesn't leave it that way. So here's the next part of the passage. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as did also his sons and his livestock? So, so when, when, when Jesus asks for, for water, she says, "Do you know, do you know what I am? You're asking me, do you know what I am? And Jesus is saying, I know what you are. I know who you are. The question becomes, though, do you know who I am? He, he knows who we are. We, will, we might define ourselves by what we do. He defines us by who we are. So do you know what I am? Gets turned into, do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? Now, why was she so skeptical? She has, she's operating with Jesus and with two false assumptions that I believe that we operate possibly at times, maybe now, two false assumptions. False assumption number one, she, she thought that empty hands can't deliver full promises. He had nothing to draw with. He had empty hands his empty hands you have nothing to give me the second assumption was this well is as good as it gets around here this well has been here since jacob who do you think you are now let's look at assumption number one because she was right he had no bucket we put put a rope here i don't even know if a rope would have been there all right i mean this was an old well he shows up. He has nothing to get the water from. Even if there is a rope here, there's no bucket. Okay? So he has nothing to come from. It's true. He had empty hands. But I want you to realize this. That when Jesus stretch, out, stretch his hands out to us, they're not empty. They're open. And they're nail scarred. In fact, it's our full hands that ends up keeping us from receiving from Christ. The only people who ever leave Jesus empty-handed are those who are unwilling to empty their hands. You don't believe it? There's four gospels that you can comb through with a fine-tuned comb and you will find the only people who leave Jesus empty-handed are those who are unwilling to empty their hands. False assumption, you have nothing to offer me, Jesus. You have nothing to offer me. And when he, when he, when he holds out hands that are empty, really what they are is they're full of him. It's his, it's his offering. He offers us himself. When we look for things from Christ, believe me, things come from Christ. But his offer to us is never about things. His offers to us are always about Him. We get get Him. He, He offers us Him. And if our lives are too full for Him, it's our lives that end up being much more empty than what we realize they are. The second assumption, again, when we hear God being described in the Old Testament, He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So to say this was Jacob's well, this is one of the fathers, one of the patriarchs of the faith. He dug this well. Are you kidding me? You nondescript Jew, I don't even know your name. You may be a rabbi, but you really, you think you're greater than Jacob? And Jesus has pretty much said, yes. But in this sense, that this well would have been an access to groundwater. Okay. Groundwater. So a cistern, would, a cistern would hold water that rains, but a well, there would be two types of wells. One would collect groundwater, so that somehow it would be over an area that where groundwater would pool, and so the groundwater would be determined by the water table. How much rain was going on, where was the water table, so that well sometimes could be dry, maybe, maybe, not, maybe not often where it was dug, but it would collect groundwater. But there was another type of well that was considered a superior well. Right? This well would have tapped into what would be called living water. Running water, fresh water, a spring of water, an underground spring, um, an underground stream. And so what Jesus really is saying, and she would understand this, she would get this, that this well-collected groundwater, it wasn't running streamed water. And Jesus is saying, false assumption number one, my hands are open, they're not empty. False assumption number two is, yes, I am better than this well. Because what I'm offering you is running, living water that continues on and on and on and on and on and on and on. It replenishes itself. So yes, yes, it is better. Uh, I'm better. So Jesus challenges false assumptions with open hands and living water. Now, next part is that Jesus confronts our current position with grace. So here's how the story continues on. So Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So not only does this water that we receive from Christ bring life to us, the implication here is it continues to bring life to us and to others. The woman said to him, sir, give me some of that water. I won't, I won't get thirsty if I keep coming. I, this well right here, I don't want to keep coming out here. And he told her, go tell your husband and come back. I mean, this had to be just, she's just getting to the place like she's getting the guy, right? It's like, yeah, I mean, if there's water other than me having to walk miles outside of town at noon here, then I'll, I, I'll take some. How do, how do I get some of this? Now, Jesus has to get her a little deeper into what she's thinking. And so when he asks for a husband, I can, I can just, based on her answer, you could, you could just see her head drop. I don't have a husband. Seems like that should be able to end the conversation. If you speak to anybody else, are you married? No, I'm not married. You move on. What else is there? What else is there to ask around that question? He's not an ordinary person. So our cursory surface answers to Jesus, when they're needed to be probed, he probes them. No, in fact, you don't have a husband. You've had five. He doesn't leave it there. And the one you're currently living with you're not married to. I mean, you know, what is she doing now? What is she doing now? Now, my response could have been, I could have, maybe there could have been some Kurt's, you know, sarcastic thing and just blow him off and move on. But where's she gonna go? She sits in this Question. All right, now let's get a little deeper in what's going on. Why would she be coming outside of town at noon for water when collecting water by women would have been done in a cooler part of the day and it would have been social, half social in its interaction? Well, we know. We know. The other part of culture that you need to understand, there were two different kind of religious thoughts. One was... You could never divorce your wife outside of adultery, but there was another there was another religious school of thought, and this one 's going to sound very shocking would be that whenever whenever the wife displeased her husband, she could be divorced, and all divorces could only be initiated by the husband, not the woman now there 's probably one hundred and fifty of you 've gone through jesus in, with, with Jesus and women with Christy McCcull, so you 're going. Move on, Pastor, I know this, right? <clears throat> so a lot of times, without some of that cultural history, what, what you would think is that she was promiscuous and that Jesus is challenging that. And in fact, that's, that's probably not what's happening. She has, she has been disrespected and shamed and disregarded to such a point because needing a husband or a son was, was, was paramount to their, a woman's survival. That she would now live with a man who wouldn't, wouldn't even claim her as his wife. This is where she is. So why does Jesus bring up something so, wow, I mean, like so raw? He doesn't do this with any of us to shame us or put us in our place. He does it to lift us up. He does it to water our soul. He does it to bring life where it has ebbed away. But do you see how normally you and I on awkward conversations, we ain't going to have them. Right? We're going to sidestep an awkward conversation. Believe me, though, if she would have felt more displaced, if, if, if he would have brought this up in a manner in which to degrade her even more, I don't think she would stay. She stays because the conversation is elevating her to a different place. I see you. Hey, my disciples that went by, they, they might have walked around you and they didn't have a conversation with you, but I've been waiting at this well for you. I've been waiting here specifically to have this conversation with you. And you matter more than me just asking for a cup of water. There's something bigger and deeper going on here. Do you see this? Do you see this? Unforgettable people confront us with grace. We have to learn better how to speak the truth in love, folks. To speak the truth and no love is just a hammer. It's just... I'm gonna tell you where and what you're wrong or less than, that's the, and that's just the truth, and I'm just gonna tell you the truth. Doesn't do anything except hammer somebody down. If I'm just gonna love you and I'm not gonna speak the truth to you, that's bubbles and butterflies, right? We might as well color unicorns out and make everybody happy and rainbow Skittles all over the place, right? Because that's really not loving you. But when I love you enough to speak into your life and I do it in a manner to lift you and not put you down That I'm loving you sometimes people respond to that sometimes people don't respond to that and that's why you always have to circle back around to why am I doing this how am I doing this has God opened a door for me to do this See, because if it's truth and love, then you're praying for God to open an opportunity for which you can step into, not barge into. Unless that behavior, right, is, is going to be... But I, still believe, I still believe God opens these doors for us to step into when, when we're ready to speak the truth and love to someone. And Christ speaks truth and love to you and I. He loves us enough to point out when we are deviating off of the path of life. Because he knows... Path that we may be taking is not going to lead to life. It's going to lead to death. It's going to lead to harm. It's, 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 it is going to hurt us. Maybe, maybe, maybe not eternally, but internally. And He's willing to confront us, but His con- confrontation always comes with open hands. The change is: Will you receive Me? If you will receive Me and My ways. If you receive that, that I can bring you life that keeps generating life and keeps generating life. But you have a choice of what you're going to do with the conversation. So what does she do with the conversation? Well, first she tr- she tries to shift the conversation. And this is, this is another message for another time, so I'm not going to get into all the details. But she changes the, the conversation to, well, as Samaritans, We worship in this place. So she's starting to sense that there's something bigger about this guy other than a thirsty man, okay? So she kind of shifts the conversation. Well, we worship here, you worship here. And Jesus doesn't blow off the question. When I was trying to think about it, think about the questions that I've had, the conversations I've had with people who don't know Christ through the years and getting to a place right where they can't can't avoid where we are and how many times they've tried to divert the conversation And the age-old spiritual questions that can't be answered right then and there. Like, why does bad things happen to good people? Just just throwing out one that just kind of seemingly derails the conversation. Jesus is not going to be derailed. He gives her an answer, but it's like, boom. You know what? You're not right, and they're not right. That's a good answer, isn't it? There isn't going to be a place where you're going to mark that that's the place to worship, or that's the place to worship. I'm talking about who it is that's coming to worship. And with that answer, she goes, I've been taught, I've been, come on up team. I've been taught that there would be a man who would come that would tell me everything. In the Samaritan culture, it was, the the name wasn't even Messiah, it was Tahib. And this is the first account in all of the gospels She becomes the first person that he reveals that he's the Messiah. And his response is, I am he. It so resembles I am, doesn't it? I heard there's going to be a Christ, a Messiah. You heard right. And on the way out to this well, on this day, with your head down, carrying the stuff that you've carried... And that you've come out here. They would have had to retrieve water every day. You thought you were going about a normal day. And the Messiah has met you at this well. So what do you do with that kind of information? The way the story recounts. Is she leaves everything at the well. And runs back. Into town, so whatever she would have carried, the water at least, at least the jug to, to have the water. More than likely, a bucket to tie to a rope and to retrieve the water. Possibly the rope and a bucket and her what? She leaves it and heads back into town. Now this is this is really the ironic part. She's going back into town, and the same disciples that passed her one way is coming this way now. Okay. Because they, they see Jesus talking to this woman and going, like, what's going on here? We leave him alone for like five minutes, right? And, you know, and they got their to-go containers or whatever. I and mean, they bring in something back for him to eat. You know what I'm saying? And, and they're like, what? Because on the way, when they were on the way to town, she probably has her head down. She don't have her head down going back the other way. She's not dragging her feet. She, she probably waved at them right and they didn't know what to do with it it's amazing when they get back and they start having the conversation hey we brought your catfish and Jesus like hey I'm not hungry this whole thing started because you were hungry I have food you know not of sidebar whenever we are doing the work of the father we have food we know not of it is something that refreshes and invigorates and fuels us when we are doing the work of the Father. Well, she gets back into town and she, this woman who could not go to the well with the other women because of all the yam, 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 now is going around telling anybody that she can see, come, come see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Come see a man. And they go someone they would have disregarded before they leave with why because there's something rang true with what she said something rang true of how she looked what she was doing and I'm telling you when you're afraid I don't know how people will receive the message that I have when it's fresh in you they're gonna want some of that freshness when it's not fresh in you it's just another story it's a part of your history but when it's fresh and ongoing in you, everybody's wanting some of this living water, I'll just tell you. They need some of this living water. She comes back. They urge Jesus to stay a couple more days. Who knows what the disciples are doing in all this. And then the last, one of the last lines of the, of the story are, are a group of people speaking to the woman who we still don't know her name said we we believed when you told us but now that we've met him now we really believe see someone can't you can't live off someone else's experience you you can get to jesus off of somebody else's experience but you got to have your own experience and again the only people who leave jesus empty-handed are the ones who are unwilling to empty their hands because he's going to speak some truth into your life He's going to demonstrate what's the hole in your well. He's going, to, he, he's going to bring you along into that, but he's the only one that can bring us living water. So here, here are some of my bullets just kind of end, and we're going to pray. When I'm putting together this unforgettable Jesus from our first week, that Jesus sees you. Jesus leaves a mark. Jesus is a catalyst for transformation. Jesus crosses lines to get to us. Jesus doesn't sidestep us. He steps into us. Jesus turns fences into frames. Jesus is clean is enough for your unclean. Jesus challenges our false assumptions about him with open hands and living water. Jesus confronts our current position with grace. And living water can't be contained. Can't be contained. That was the, that's the first part when I remember reading this story when I This story is so old in my life, in my life story, that it was a story that it, I was in a preaching class in the 80s having to be assigned this passage. To preach to be graded on. And I forgot the assignment. Promise. Promise. That it was the night before I was having to preach on this passage. That I remembered I was supposed to preach on this passage. So I didn't have time to write anything. So what I wrote was. Is that Jesus' love crosses all boundaries. Covers a multitude of sins. And it's uncapable when it's received. Those three lines with nothing down, I finished my message and the, and the, and the, uh, the professor said, man, that was awesome. Um, can I have your notes? You know, you have to have your notes to be graded. And I said, well, you remember when you wanted us to experiment on different types of speaking? And he said, yeah, I said, well, this was extemporaneous. And he said, well, I had to come from somewhere. So can you bring me those notes tomorrow? I said, I'd be glad to bring those notes to you tomorrow. <laughs> that, that's how long that story has lived with me. Not at the depth in which I know the story now. I was in India. I was in India, and whenever I was going on these trips, I had a set speaking schedule. So I knew what I was going to do when I was going to do it. On this particular case... We're at a hospital, and they had—they were having a training the next morning at, at uh, 6 a.m. for uh, women um, being trained to be healthcare workers in their villages. And they said, "These these women will not be believers. Would you come and do a devotion for us at 6 o'clock in the morning?" And I was supposed to be—we were up late last night. I was supposed to be somewhere else in India the next day. But I said, "Yeah." And, and I had a friend traveling with me who wasn't a believer. He was a friend from high school but because I was going somewhere he never went before he wouldn't go with me. So, I enter into this 20-some healthcare worker women. What am I going to teach them today? Woman at the well. Woman at the well. It's a rich story. He's an unforgettable person. And I don't know how you came here today, right? I don't know how many of you had your head down I don't know how many of you have this secret past that you want no one to know. I don't know any of these things. What I know, though, is I tried to avoid this sermon in this series because I had lived with it that long. And we did it today. How has it found you? So when they lead us in this song, I encourage you to move to an altar, move to the communion tables, uh, kneel at your seat, raise your hands. But the God who is able to bring us this ever replenishing water is here today. And if you will open your hands in your life to him, he will fill it with himself. You've heard the expression, you used it. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know what that means? That means you've tried everything you know to try. And my suggestion today is to put trust before try. You've tried everything else. Stop trying. Start trusting. Stop trying a what. And start trusting a who. Today. So Father words that we have from your son that John records what an impression it must have made on him when he, when he finishes his book and he says if, if, if I were to have written everything that he said and done there wouldn't be books enough to contain it and he, yet he, he records this story and for us today it's fresh So, Father, now I pray for those watching online and those in this room now, Lord, that they would come with you with open hands in this moment. Amen. We hope you were encouraged and challenged by today's message. Again, to learn more about Gateway Franklin Church, find us online at gatewayfranklin.com. Thanks for joining us today.